ladies and gentlemen, those of you from this world and the next, it gives me great pleasure to present the Satanic Player Society, traveling sideshow of the Macaw. Join us as we bring you wonders from the abyss, pros from the shadows, and tales of horror and madness. Now, it brings me great joy to introduce tonight's performers, each bringing their own skills and talents to the show. Please be standing and give a round of applause for... Me! Yes, my friends. I am taking it upon myself to entertain you tonight. The rest of my wonderful troupe are working hard as we speak to bring you new and exciting content for the coming year. Rest assured, they will return. We also have new additions to our little band. I can't wait to introduce them to you. I have no doubt you will enjoy what they have to offer. Now, on with the show. We are lucky enough to have been given a sneak preview of the up-and-coming novel, The Knights of Azaru, currently being created by our friend and author, M.R. Stover. Please, sit with me a while as I share with you the tale of Ackwood. Ark leaned against the tree, panting for breath. Animal terror had moved him for a fortnight, running from the knights. Ark considered himself a survivor, a slum rat that had been living in the alleys and streets of the steel ever since he ran away from home. Since then, he had roamed from place to place as a street tough, a thief, and a brother of the crows. He had often been one step away from the city's guards and two steps away from the noose. Now he felt the noose tightening and knew that he had to keep moving. If the knight found him, he was dead. Flat out, plain and simple, dead. He finally caught his breath and ceased to suck in her in rasp, jagged gasps and started moving again. He walked, slowly at first, and then the thought of that steel encased monster catching up sparked his adrenaline and he began to run. A distance away from where he started, his foot snagged on something that made him tumble ass over heels down a short ravine. A shortfall, but unexpected. And he hit his head on a rock on the way down. A bit of blood trickled into his eyes and his breathing was ragged and his heart thumped with the exertion. His body caught up to him then. Slight concussion, worn out, starving and adrenaline stopping its terror pumped. He closed his eyes and slept, though it was an unconscious act. He was sleeping soundly and didn't even know that they were coming. He never heard them at all. Rough hands yanked Act to his feet and he woke with a start and instinctively tried to run and someone grabbed him and pinned his arms behind his back. And he saw from his peripheral vision a flash of red clothing and a hand holding a club. The club impacted with a skull. He opened his eyes very disoriented. Someone held his arms while another searched his belt and clothes. Stinging liquid he assumed was sweat marred his vision. The hands relieved him of his coin and dagger, and Ack thrashed out against them. 
the person searching punched them in the stomach, hard enough to knock the wind out of him. He tried to squirm and yelled obscenities, and that earned him another wallop, only this time to his jaw. His vision danced with stars, and he heard a rough voice say, Let me see him. The man holding his arms tightened his hold, straightening Axe's body out, and he was quite confused at the turn of events. He figured that if this were a knight, he'd have been dead before he knew it, and if it were some common cutthroat, he would have a red smell by now. This treatment, however, was something different. He didn't understand of what kind of condition he was in, and he wasn't going to make it easy for them, whatever their intentions. He lashed out with his foot, attempting to kick the man with the rough voice, and pain interrupted whatever move he tried to make out of sheer agony. He felt the whip before he heard the crack. He had never been whipped before, much less in the face. He was not eager to feel it sting again. Strong hands began to examine him, squeezing arms and legs and prying his lips open to look at the teeth he hardly possessed. He knew now what his fate was and who these people were. Pale-skinned, tattooed on the face, with teeth filed down to points. They were slavers from the island of Say. The rough voice proclaimed, Libor, take him. The slavers shackled him and frog-marched him to the menagerie cart that was loaded with four other captives, one of whom he recognised, a man that had been in the inn, and judging by the gash on the man's forehead, he had tried to struggle with the slavers. The man looked at Ak once, and then dropped his head to stir at the floor. The slavers opened the cage, crossbows at the ready, and tossed him into it, then slammed the gate shut. He wasn't sure what to make of his new situation. Fate had dealt him a wild card, and if he played it right, he might just be able to get far enough away from the curse of the Palins long enough to stay alive. One of the slavers spoke to the others. Ashar said to head to the coast once we had a full cart, and this looks full to me. The others grunted acknowledgement, and the slavers cracked the whip at the horses driving the cart, and it lurched forward and began to move, jostling its riders with every pebble it hit. Ak stared at the landscape as it passed, and observed the slavers, watching for the telltale signs of routine, and trying to gauge each of the ten's personalities. All of them were lean of build, and all of them had blue tattoos all over their pale, but sun-tanned skin, and all of them had their teeth filed to points. The slavers wore red uniformly, and had a variety of leather straps across their chests and waists, holding a variety of weapons and tools for enslavements. Daggers, knives, hooks, shackles, axes, clubs, swords, iron chains, whips and canes. They all wore canes. Some had several to a ring and others had less, but they all had canes, and their hands never strayed far from them. Most patted them habitually, as if reassuring that they were still in their possession. Ak promised that he would escape as soon as he was able, and depending on where the opportunity struck, would depend on how he would get about doing so. He hoped that they travelled upwards towards the northern coast near the northern kingdoms. He made a mental checklist on what he would do once he was free. First and foremost was murk and wine, next was a maid, and then a whore. He planned on returning to the Brotherhood then. He needed to find a new crew. Mental checklist done, his thoughts turned to wandering. He thought about the brothers he had lost to the night, 
and of killing Barry. Not once did a thought cross his mind that he was at all in the wrong. Survival was his strong restraining facet, and had always been so. Nothing would change that, ever. The hour slowly passed as the trees came and went. None of the men in the cart bothered to talk. Anak did not seek their conversation either. The slavers stayed attentive and walked alongside the cart the entire way, hands straight towards keys and weapons as they maintained vigilance of their surroundings and captives. Morning gave way to day, and day gave way to evening. The slavers fed them bread and beans from a cook pot, and he saw them spit on it. Nonetheless, he ate the fur, hungry as he was. He even tried to steal one of his captive companion's portion, and earned a stinging lash from the whip. He didn't try that again. That whip hurt like the Apelian hells. Next, the slavers gave him cheap wine, that tasted more like vinegar than a proper vintage. Ack understood that they would want to keep them at least somewhat healthy, lest they catch a poor wage when they were sold at the auction block. Evening faded to night, and Ack slept restlessly, his head nestled between the gaps in the bars. The savers at least provided blankets to keep their fur from succumbing to the winter. Snow had fallen almost constantly during Ack's captivity and freshly blanketed the ground and the trees. He saw his breath with every exhalation, and that became a way to pass the time for him, Seeing how big a fog of condensation cloud he could make, he counted the bars. There were sixty total, twenty on each long side and ten on the short sides. Nights and evenings were the worst, because that's when the slavers enjoyed a hot meal and rum. They had a substantial amount of both salted pork and rum hidden away in the saddlebags of the animals that pulled the cart and others that were walked alongside of them. Every night they would make a thick soup that smelled strongly of pepper and baked fresh flatbread in a cast iron pan that they set in the middle of the cook fire. Ack watched them use the bread to shovel mouthfuls of sweet smelling meat into their sharp toothed mouths and the stomach grumbled. On the third day they gave them all a bit of salted beef to chew with their customary bread and bad wine. The introduction of meat to his system was enough to set his bowels off and he had to yank down his trousers and leaned against the bars of the cage to try and shit outside of it, like he had seen some of his captive companions do on occasion. The slavers had to wash away the filth as soon as possible, and I could hear the tone of complaint in their voices as they spoke their native language to each other as they set about the unpleasant task. He knew that they would do it, had to do it, lest the prisoners fall to illness, thus ruining any profit they hoped to gain from Axe and the other sail. He made a point to shit more often, and relished in the slaver's discomfort when they had to clean it up. Pissing was easier. He just had to stand and name his cock outside the bars and let go. Once he tried to accidentally piss on one of the slavers, and the man moved to one side, waited until he was done, and gave him three lashes with the whip. That was the last time he tried to pull that move. That whip hurt really bad. Eventually, routine set in for Ack. He ate the morning fur, stared at the trees passing by, slept for a little while, ate the evening meal, and then listened to his stomach growl at night until exhaustion overcame him, and then waked to the smell of food once again. The slavers were meticulous in their routine. They changed guards every four hours, and the ones leaving checked the lock in the cage, and the ones who relieved them checked it again. Ack began to realise that nothing was going to give him an advantage. He began to despair them, 
Nothing was going to get him anywhere. He began to not think of the auctioneer block as a curse, but as a blessing. Anything to get away from these foul men. He retreated inside himself, spacing out the day-to-day sights and activities, and slept more often than not. Act was beginning to hate life. Days of being shackled in a cage with the other people, forced to endure the smell of their piss and shit, and hear their snores and smell their farts, was enough to make him contemplate the preference of death. But he resigned to abide by his torture and persevere. The savers' treatment of them wasn't kind, but it wasn't horrible either. They sought to sell healthy slaves and not worm-ridden carcasses that wouldn't fetch a price at all on the block. Ack held on to the illusion of escape and continued to observe the slaver's behaviour and his illusions faltered as he came up with less and less ways to escape without ending up dead or as a meal for his captors. He recalled a tale told at the coastal ends of the northern kingdoms about the islanders of Say and remembered that they all told of the slaver's success as slaving was born from the islanders hunting people for food. Over time the practice was supposed to be ill-favoured in light of the coin that the human brought on the block and they found that hunting and selling was preferable to eating. Though the tales also told of the islanders not being shy about eating a person, should the need arise. Always in hushed, suggesting tones that were always followed by wide eyes and laughter at those who would scare another with stories. Later that night, the necessity to get free from the islanders became wholly apparent. The slavers had snared a brace of hair and were busy cooking them over the fire. The smell was intoxicating and one of his cagemates began to mutter. Look at those horse sons, eating a hot meal and drinking good while, while they starve us. He turned his gaze to Yak, and his eyes were wide and wild, and held a hint of insanity in their depths. The man shouted, spittle flying from his lips. While they starve us, those horse sons. He started yelling. Hey, hey, you bastards. You bloody sons of whores, feed us, you fox! The slavers around the fire stood, and a few came over and began to lash the man. The whips only intensified the man's rage, and seeing that, they looked at each other, seeking another direction to deal with the unruly man. Another slaver came from his tent, holding the aura of command, and he looked at each of his people in turn, and some sort of silent communication passed between them. Two of the slavers passed their whips through rings on their straps, and took off into the camp in a sprint, disappearing into a red canvas tent, emerging solely afterwards with loaded crossbows. The angry man began to kick the bars of the cage, yelling, Horse sons! The slaver lashed the man kicking the cage with short snake whips, hitting the angry man who tensed his body at every strike, but only seemed to intensify his rage with renewed vigour as he kicked the bars of the cage. The two crossbows were pointed at the cage, and the man was casually pulling on the straps holding a variety of weapons, shackles and knives. Ack watched the man unstrap a cudgel and a cutlass from the instruments on his belt. He clinked them together and gestured with his sword to the supply cart. Slavers rushed to clean the contents that rested on the cart, and once the cart was clear of debris, they slung a rope over an overhanging tree branch and tied it. Then the slavers with the crossbows moved towards the cage and the man in charge gestured for it to be opened. Two slavers opened the cage, and the ones with the crossbows pointed at the other captives. They instinctively backed off. The slavers began to pull the angry man from the cage, and he tried to kick them, but they were holding onto the fabric of his clothes and pulled his legs apart. The man yelled of sandings, 
and two other slavers slammed their cage shut and seized the man by the manacles and pulled him forward onto his face. The other slavers dogpiled him and pinned his arms and legs to the ground and the leader, almost casually, kicked him in the head. The meaty sounding thunk of leather boot meaning the man's head resounded in the camp almost supernaturally as the leader kicked the man in the temple over and over again. The man went limp and the leader pulled back his eyelids to see if the man was out and began barking commands to the others. Activity caught Axe's attention near the cleared cart and he watched the slavers make a kind of pulley system with a rope slung around one of the trees. He didn't understand what they were doing and they half drug, half carried the unconscious man over to the cart. Somewhere along the way, the man must have gotten squirrely because the slavers started yelling and the leader jumped on the man's back and hit him so hard with the truncheon that Axe swore he heard the man's skull crack. The man went boneless limp and the slavers finished dragging him to the cart and they tied his arms and legs to the side and took the hooked knives to cut his clothing off. When the man was naked, they flipped him over face up and turned his body to where his feet faced the tree and tied his ankles to the tree with a rope and hoisted him to hang upside down. Axe suppressed a laugh. Were they going to use him like a human archery butt? No. The leader swiftly cut the man's throat from ear to ear with his hooked knife. Vibrant red blood rapidly poured from the man's neck and he made choking, gurgling sounds and his body twitched. While the hanging man bled out, the leader rolled up his sleeves and the slavers brought him a bucket of soapy water and rags along with a red leather robe that looked like a toolkit. The leader calmly washed his hands in soapy water and began to unroll the kit. Ak couldn't quite see, but it appeared that the kit contained a variety of knives and saws. The man selected something, and Ak surmised that it was a knife when he saw him run his thumb along the side of it, like he was testing an edge. The leader moved to the corpse and began cutting at its neck, and after several minutes the leader grasped both sides of the man's head and pulled downwards. The head came off in his hands, and he held it and examined it for several seconds before discarding it, tossing it to the ground. He then made a cut on the body, and began to remove long strips of skin, slowly and with deft care, covering his hands and bloods that he frequently cleaned off in the bucket of soapy water. He set the strips to the side of the bloody heap. Hack watched the process with a sort of shocked, grim fascination. Although his stomach protested, and his mouth filled with bile, he controlled himself until the leader removed the man's genitals. Then Ak lost it. He heaved a mouthful of stinging bowel through the bars of the cage and coughed and heaved until there was nothing left. He kneeled, leaning his head against the bars of the cage and closed his bloodshot eyes and took several minutes to regain control of himself. He glanced upwards in time to see the leader discarding viscera and doubled over again. One of the men in the cage with Ak broke a silence saying, Bloody horse sons! What? What are they doing? Against his better judgment, Ak looked up and heard the sound of a hacksaw and saw the leader sawing off a butchered man's last remaining arm at the shoulder joint. With a few last careful cuts, the leader removed the arm and tossed it onto the cart's surface. The other slavers cut the decapitated, gutted, skinned and mutilated body from the tree and placed it down onto the cart. The leader carefully worked with the corpse with his knife and his hacksaw deep into the night. Ak drifted off in the kind of tormented sleep, replaying the events over and over again in his head. He remained at the edge of deep sleep and listened to the conversation of the others. Cruel bastards! What are they doing? 
Axe's empty stomach rumbled as the smell of the cooking pot filled his nostril. Fuck me, mates! The smell! They're cooking him! Cannibals! Early morning, Ack found himself huddled in the corner of the cart, his stomach rumbling violently. The smell that wafted from the man the slavers had cooked smelled too much like roasting pork and it made him both mad with hunger and ill with disgust. He sat in brooding silence until a little while later when the slavers went about changing the watch and preparing for the morning's travel. They kicked the cart to wake their captives and gave them water, bread and something else. A chunk of freshly roasted meat. Ack reached out with a tentative hand to take the food the slaver offered and took his portion hastily in the end, fearing that the offering hand would withdraw from reach. Ack looked at the meat with an expression of disgust, and the slaver said to him with broken common tongue, It's good for you. Make you strong. Ack knew what it was. Nonetheless, he held on to his portion of meat, and the slaver walked away from him laughing. Ack wolfed down the bread and drank the water, but when it came down to the meat, he stopped his feeding frenzy. Curiously, he peered at it in distrust, but his stomach and mind bade him take a bite. The only thing holding back the instinctive survival nature from his reptilian brain, the cerebellum, was images of the man being chopped up and butchered like an animal within his sight. And when he looked down at the pile of discarded innards that the slaver had left the rot, he almost discarded the meat. He held the chunk of protein in his hands and looked at the other prisoners for guidance. Only one man was eating the meat, and he was the worst looking of them all. Rotten rags hung off his skeletal body, and his eyes had a faraway look to them, sunken deep within his skull. Active in the instinct, as pure animal hunger overrode his evolved nature, and he began to take bites at the meat, savouring in its flavour, not at all minding its gamey taste, and thought, this tastes almost like a pork chop. He swallowed every hunk until it was gone, and felt stronger than he had in days. His mind then began to be played with small flashbacks of him cutting off the guy's head. About half an hour after the morning meal was complete, the slavers cracked their whips, and the beasts of burden began to tug the cart down the road again. Three days passed in what seemed like a blur, and acted in the emphilic wretching after the first time he had eaten the meat, and consumed it once it was given. The slavers seemed to think that it was funny to feed the slaves meat from a man that had once been as they were. Ack didn't care anymore. As long as they kept feeding him, Ack stared sullenly out the metal bars of his cage and watched the endless rows of spruce, pine and oak trees covered in snow pass by. While the cart bounced and jostled underneath him, chopping his ass with every pebble and root, Ack was brought out of his meditation when the cart hit a very large rock and sent his face smashing into the bars of the kid's nose first. Blood ran out of his nostrils, and his eyes watered and he saw stars. One of the slavers walking alongside the cart saw him and laughed. Axe sneered at him, and the slaver struck with his whip, chortling in broken common tongue. Slave no cry! Slave no bleed! He giggled at Axe's discomfort and grinned and then pitched forward violently with a spray of blood and a surprised look on his face as he fell to the ground with a spear sticking out of the back of his neck. A horse neighed in the woods, and Ack looked up in dumbfounded horror as a knight of a pal came charging out of the woods in his direction. A slaver drew his cutlass and tried to stand his ground, and the knight slashed his skull with his weapon 
and then slammed his boarded horse against the cage and began to thrust at Ak, who retreated as far back as the cage would allow. The knight was persistent, and almost had him when the rest of the sabres came to attack the knight. They hacked and stabbed at his horse, and managed to pull him from the saddle to the ground. The horse reared and then kicked the cage Ak was in twice before running into the forest, and the knight stabbed the sabre in the groin while rising to his feet. He came up, swinging the sword around, and the slavers moved back and out of the way, and then began the deadly dance. The knight swung his weapons, and those two slow were cut, but it allowed those behind him to stab the backs of his legs. Blood splattered around the group, and the slavers nicked their opponent to defeat. After what seemed to be an impossibly long time, the knight finally collapsed into a heap, and the slaver Ak took to be the leader kicked him on his back, mounted him and stabbed him through his visor and twisted. Ak heard bone crunch, and the knight gave one final twitch and died. A sense of relief washed over Ak, as at least one of his life's burdens was now extinguished. Later that night, the slavers gambled away his possessions. During the next few days of travel, his group of slavers met a large camp composed of three other groups of slavers and three other carts full of captives. The slaver who had chopped up the man, Ak had consumed a large portion of, also appeared to be a leader amongst the others. When they came upon the camp, he stirred impassively at the contents of the other carts, and every now and then, Ak saw his jaw clench in silent fury. Something was wrong and Ak wanted to know what it was. He gazed at the other carts and observed the people inside them. The other three carts were composed of young men and young women, some of which were still children. He counted them and numbered them twenty and three. Those in his cart were like him, vagabonds, drifters and cutthroats out of whistle. All of them had sunken cheeks and eyes and had a leathery skin of a rough life spent living life in destitution. They would probably fetch a small price on the block as labourers or miners, a base fee, but sure. The others in the carts were different. Their clothing was made of sturdy wool and cloth, and they held the look of farm girls and boys who had a different type of rough life, working the stables, milking the cows and goats, tilling the land and harvesting from the forests. These people held the look of peasants. None of them were underfed, and none of them had the look of those men who shared Axe cart. These were some lord's people, and, if Ak judged correctly, these people worked the lands belonging to the Prince of Denscape, the nearest city close to the northern coast. If he recalled correctly, not only would the Prince take offence in the molestation and capture of his people, but would swiftly retaliate. He watched as a young pretty girl saw it in the arms of an older woman, and noted that the youngest, no more than ten years of age, had a look in his face that spoke of trauma not yet understood by his young mind. Ak watched as the leader of his slaver team approached the other men, who seemed to be representatives of the other teams. His face was blank with rage. When he spoke to them in the language of the islanders of Say, Ak watched him jab his finger angrily at the contents of the other carts. The others became animated all at once, and began to speak in tones of anger and offence. They all jabbed fingers at the carts and made gestures speaking of either outrage at being questioned by the leader of his group or attempting to find some sort of understanding amongst them. While listening to their unintelligible conversation, he picked up a name that was spoken very often. The name was Ashar, and it seemed to act that Ashar was a very important man amongst them. 
After throwing his hands up in the air, the leader of Axe Creek came back to his people and muttered a few frustrated words to his crew, and then sat down by the fire and began to sharpen his cutlass with vigour, occasionally screaming a word that had to be profanity. Ack paid extra attention to the conversations of the slavers the next day, and the name Asharl came up in almost every statement, and it seemed to him that the whole operation needed the approval of this man he had never laid eyes upon. During the afternoon, the air brought with it the scent of the sea and the smell of rain. It was carried on a strong wind that brought dark looming clouds that began to cover up the daylight with twilight-like darkness. The clouds threatened the storm of snow and sleet. Ack watched the slavers glance upwards apprehensively every now and then before they once again went back to the cur of the menial tasks of honing weapons, tending the food and fires and doing other chores. Besides the external threat of the looming storm, there also seemed to be a looming inner storm amongst the slavers. They remained very quiet and strained agitation sprinkled their actions. Most of them didn't bother to interact with the others, and he noticed that as a whole, they spent more time caring for their weapons than they did anything else. And the cruel frivolity that they had treated the slaves was gone, replaced by a cold routine that marked day-to-day life. The change in the slavers' mode of behaviour was both cheering and disturbing. For Ack, he could only assume that the three other carts of people were the source of discontent. The northern kingdoms loathed raiders of their lands and people, and would retaliate if possible. Ack knew that the slavers were in trouble, should the Prince of Denscape send his forces to find his missing people, and Ack went to sleep laughing at the fact that the slavers were in trouble. The snow came suddenly, blown fierce by howling coastal winds, and the slavers moved the four carts closer and placed large canvas pavilions over them. They lit fires so that the heat collected inside the pavilions, warming all occupants. Later that evening, the slavers cracked in the casks of rum and sat drinking in silence while the tension grew. Ack figured that they would assume that this is Charles wasn't going to make it and they needed to head out to the coast and sail before they were caught during the winter storms. A day later, the weather gave way just a little bit. The snow ceased to fall, but the freezing coastal wind bit at them constantly, and a day later, they started to break camp. They didn't even bother to feed the slaves. Some of the men and women in the other carts protested and not been giving their morning meal, as meagre as it was. The men in Axe cart grumbled silently, but didn't dare voice their opinions out loud, lest they become tonight's supper. The only acknowledgement the slavers gave their slaves were kicks and whips before they broke camp and began to move. The caravan travelled slowly, and Nat could have sworn that he heard the bang of hounds in the distance. In the middle of morning on the third day, the caravan suddenly stopped, and the slavers became very agitated. They began barking at each other in their native tongue. Some drew weapons and others strung crossbows. The sound he knew was hounds began to come closer, and Axe strained his hearing and peered intently into the woods, seeking the source of which had made the slaver so agitated. He realised that the woods had gone silent, except for the panting of a dog. He strained to find the beast, and saw a red hound nearly hidden in the brown and green of the foliage. The dog panted as it stared at him, cocking his head curiously, while drill ran off his muzzle. A slaver sent a crossbow bolt at the beast, and the hound disappeared into the forest. A flurry of activity erupted amongst the caravan and the slavers prepared to fight. Ack heard the sound of bang hounds crash through the woods and for an enchanted moment the sounds of creaking leather, the slither of ringmail 
and the sound of horses' hooves scraping against rocks was highly audible in the din. A blood-chilling sound broke the enchantment. The note from a hunting horn sounded for an eternity, before some twenty-odd mailed and mounted knights charged from the woods with lances levelled at them, screaming cries, For Dance Keep! For Lord Bailiff! A slaver screamed as a lance impaled him through the chest, and two slavers rushed at the knight with cutlasses. The knight, reacting to danger, reared his mount, and the beast lashed out like a boxer with iron-shored hooves, striking one slaver in the face. I could hear bone and cartilage crack as the horse turned his face into a bloody ruin, and then he impaled the other with his lance. The horse snorted, and I could feel its hot breath in his face. Then Ak's survival instincts kicked in. He had to get out, now. He lay on his back and began kicking the sides of his wood and iron confinement. He kicked out as hard as he could and felt the wood give just a little bit with each kick. His cage mates, having the mind to escape, also began to kick the panel with Ak. Their conjoined efforts quickly paid off and the wood splintered and together they pulled it away from the metal, leaving enough free space for them to slide out. Once out, they stood, looking for a way to escape. Ak briefly observed the battlefield. It was chaos. A dying horse screamed in pain and flailed about, blood spurting from an amputated appendage. The still figure of a knight without his head stood astride the saddle. Over by the carts, a knight on foot held back four slavers with sword and shield. He took a cutlass on the shield and then countercut a slaver's thigh, and on the back step he smashed the edge of the shield into another's face. Teeth and blood flew into the air, and he cut deeply into the stunned man's forehead, splitting the tattooed skull down to the eyes, then making a backhanded cut against another slaver, slicing his neck open. He spun around to face the third slaver he had not engaged yet. The slaver smashed at his shield with an axe and cut at the man's arm with a cutlass to little avail, and it seemed that the knight had the upper hand when the slaver, whose leg he had cut, stabbed him in the back, pushing his cutlass all the way out to his ribs. The slaver yanked the blade out and kicked him to his knees, but the other drove his neck into the man's collarbone, driving mail and steel into the flesh. Blood spurted from the man's chest, but the fight was not out of the knight, as he stabbed at the slaver in front of him, aiming for his groin, and was parried, and then was stabbed again, this time to the neck. The blade went underneath the sides of his helm, and out the other side. The slaver twisted his blade, rupturing the man's jugglers, and ripped his blade out. The knight fell to his knees, and the slavers howled in triumph. The escapees looked at another for guidance. One of the men bolted headlong into the woods. Ak needed to find a dead slaver who had the keys to his chains and flee. He rushed to the nearest slaver's body and began to search for keys and found none. The rattling of metal drew the attention of one of the mounted knights who held a long axe. The knight turned his mount to face Ak and peered at him from the emotionless eye slots of his helm. Ak's hands began to sift quicker, desperate to find the keys, all the while keeping his eyes on the axe that was being lured for a cut from the charge. The knight's leg moved to spur the mount. Ak could see the horse's muscles bunch as it began to move forward, when a slaver from out of nowhere rushed in and jammed two feet of a broken lance into the horse's neck. The slaver screamed victoriously into the horse's face, and Ak saw the horse bite the slaver's face. Flat, grinding teeth tore into his nose and cheek, and the horse wrenched his head back, taking those pieces of flesh with it, and then fell to the ground to die. The slaver's screams were met with equine howls of pain. 
Akivop was searching the body and moved to the next. From his peripheral vision, he could see two knights with lances, herding down a group of slavers before riding them down. Ak thought that it was only a matter of time before it was his time to die. Panic, driven from self-preservation instincts, gripped him, and his hand finally seized the keyring. He desperately tested each key in the keyhole of his manacles, and went through nearly all of them before he found the right key. He rubbed his wrists, and seized the dagger of the dead slaver, and ran into the woods, heading towards a haze of smoke above the forest, which would be the city of Densecape. Next time. What do you think? Will you let us in?